Welcome to Navigating Your Child's Education, a podcast for parents, grandparents, and anyone raising or influencing young people. I'm your host, Laura. Our guest today is Dr. Laura Lopez. She holds a bachelor's degree in physics from MIT and a PhD in astronomy and astrophysics from the University of California, Santa Cruz. She was a Hubble Fellow at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics and an Einstein Fellow and Papalardo Fellow in physics at MIT. She is currently Associate Professor of Astronomy at The Ohio State University. Today, we're talking about girls and women in the sciences. Dr. Lopez, thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor to have you on. Thank you, I'm happy to join. I'd love to first hear about your own journey into the sciences. How old were you when you first became interested in the sciences? So I became interested in astronomy when I was in fifth grade, <clears throat> so about 11 years old. Uh, my class went on a camping trip that included uh, a night of stargazing, and I was really captivated by the stars and looking at the sky and thinking about how it all worked. So after that trip, I began going to the public library and checking out books on astronomy and astrophysics and reading about different topics. And I got really excited about kind of the extreme things in space like black holes. I began reading lots of black hole books and Stephen Hawking. And so I decided sometime around like middle school that that's what I wanted to do professionally was I wanted to be an astronomer and investigate these, um, you know, extreme things in space. Um, and so I kind of learned that in order to do that, I needed to get um, a bachelor's degree and a PhD in physics and astronomy. And so I sort of went along that path and, and kept pursuing it. And here we are today. What a neat story. It sounds a little bit like you we're digging around on your own in the early years of your interest. I'm curious, what support and or barriers did you meet along the way, either personally or um, in your education to move you forward? Yeah, so uh, in general, so for background, my mom is a piano teacher and my dad owned a gas station. So they were not scientists. Um, so this was totally different for them. Um, and my mom was very supportive and and said, sure, go, you know, pursue whatever activities you would like. And she um, let me sort of engage and do these like I did a Saturday morning physics class when I was in high school and, um, you know, join different extracurricular activities. And so that was really important in terms of letting me, you know, explore and, and learn about what kinds of things can be done within a science career. Um, I did encounter some opposition. So I think that my dad was less supportive. I think um, he didn't go to college. So, you know, I think even just convincing him that I should go to college was actually a bit of an uphill battle. Um, he didn't think that it was important for someone to go to college. Uh, I think other people maybe didn't understand why I wanted to be a scientist. And they said, oh, why don't you want to be like a lawyer or a medical doctor or something else? Um, and I said, no, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I want to do. Um, and and so I think, you know, convincing other people like that this is, you know, a legitimate pathway um, and that this is a, a good career. I think, um, you know, that was a little bit of a struggle. But I think as I progressed academically, I think people began to see more that 
know this is really what I wanted to do and um, that I was serious about it. And then they began to uh, embrace it more. Now, I'm curious, as a physics student at MIT, uh, a female physics student at MIT, what did it look like? What was that experience like for you? Um, it was it was uh, isolating, I would say. So in general, there are a lot of physics majors. So I think there were something like 100 physics majors in my class. So it's a big class, um, but it is mostly men. So I think it was about 20% women. Um, and so in a classroom of 100 people, there are 20 women. And as we you know, went through the courses and got to the higher level courses, I think, there were fewer and fewer women. So by the time I was finishing undergrad, I think, you know, I would be one of only two people in the room, two women in the room. And, uh, and yeah, so that's very isolating. It makes you wonder, do I belong? Is this something that I want to do? And um, in addition to that, I think I took something like 24 math and physics classes and I never had a female professor. Um, or female TA. And so, um, again, because there's a lack of role models, it makes women students feel like they don't belong, that they won't have a successful career because there's no example of anyone that has had a successful career teaching their classes. Um, so it is, it is particularly isolating. Uh, on top of that, I think, you know, sometimes then the male students or even the professors could be discouraging at times. Mm -hmm. So I do remember classmates saying, you know, you have nothing to contribute. You're not smart enough. You will never have a career in this. And I think I internalized a lot of, a lot of this criticism and I was definitely doubting myself and whether I would actually be able to do it. And I think what turned me around was um, my junior year of college. I did a research project um, with a scientist who was super supportive and was incredibly encouraging and kept saying like, Laura, you have such a bright future. You have so much to offer. Someday you're gonna be my boss. You're so, you know, you're such a great scientist. Um, and I felt so empowered and capable. And that's really what made me feel much more like, oh, I can, I can do this. And um, so it's amazing the effect that just words can have and, and just being a little bit encouraging can actually be very important to, you know, make sure that students don't leave, leave the field and pursue it if it is their dreams. Um, and my PhD advisor was similar. He was very encouraging and always made me feel like I had something to offer or something to contribute, was very capable as a scientist. And so I really credit those two individuals um, for me succeeding and, and still being a scientist today is because they they were the ones who encouraged me. I'm curious, now that you are a professor and you have your own research going and you have your own students, what's your experience with that now? Do you still feel like the minority? Yeah, so I, I definitely do still feel like the minority because at the faculty level, women are underrepresented even more. And so um, at Ohio State, I am lucky to be in a department that is 20% women faculty. 
Um, and that is actually fairly high compared to some other places where there could be maybe only one women, woman. We have five women, um, including myself. So um, that's, that is, you know, good for our field. Um, it's also interesting because I think students do seek out individuals that have similar backgrounds. And so that is maybe that women students prefer women advisors, women professors, people of color may prefer people of color as their advisors as well. And so as a consequence, like personally, I think something like 75% of the students that I've advised in research are women. And it's not because I choose women, I think it's maybe that they are looking for a woman advisor. Mm -hmm. um, and the same is true. So I'm Mexican American and uh, more than half of my students are um, are Latina or Black or uh, Native American as well. So I, it really is kind of amazing um, just that role models are key and mentorship is key. Um, and I, you know, I try to instill like a sense of worth in my students that I got from my advisors. It feels good to me that I can try to have an impact that um, makes them see that that science is a career that they can pursue, that they have a lot to offer. And I try to do this in my classroom as well. So I teach um, undergrad classes at Ohio State, um, both for non-majors, like the introductory astronomy classes, um, as well as for astronomy majors. And, you know, I try to sort of have this approach in the classroom as well, which are also underrepresented classrooms. So, um, you know, in a class I taught this last semester, there were 40 students. Um, I think maybe a third were women and there were maybe only two people of color. So it's, um, yeah, so there is the underrepresentation and it's important to to sort of create this inclusive environment and, and you know, empower the students so they feel like this is something they can do professionally. Why is it so important for there to be greater equality and representation in the sciences with the female population and people of color? I think in general, people should be able to pursue their dreams and study whatever topic they are interested in. They shouldn't be limited in what they can do um, because of a toxic culture that doesn't value them or their contributions. And, you know, so we want people to be able to study whatever it is that excites them and, and to pursue careers that they'll be passionate about and, um, yeah, and be excited to, to work on. And so, you know, I think ultimately we do want science and academia to the representation there to reflect societal representation, you know, for scientists to be half men and half women, and for there to be more people of color, um, you know, as they're represented in society. So, and I think once these things improve, once you have um, parity with the rest of society, then you actually will have an, an improvement of culture and and climate where just science in general will be a more supportive place where people feel like they can be themselves. They don't have to, you know, hide anything about themselves. They don't have to feel inadequate. They can just do the science and be happy doing the science. Um, and so I think, you know, having that climate is really key to getting the best science done and having everyone be fulfilled. And so I think that's why it's important to kind of address these issues is 
you know, everyone should be able to do what whatever it is that interests them, and um, they should be able to do it in a space where they feel like they can be themselves and they feel supported. I think that that fixing these sort of representation issues helps to make it a better space for science to be conducted. It makes it so that there's going to be more discussion, more um, contributions from everyone that's going to enable the science to go further and in directions that it wouldn't go otherwise. It sounds like your mom was really instrumental in helping you get to where you are today. I wonder what advice you would give to parents who are raising students and who have expressed some interest in the science or maybe they've not considered it but they seem to sort of have a scientific mind. Yeah, I think my mom is a great example because she doesn't really have a scientific background. And so when I was like, I want to be an astronomer, my mom was like, okay, I don't really know what that is or what that does. <laughs> but we're going to go to the library and we're going to go figure out what it is. And I think that was a really good approach where, you know, it's okay if as a parent, you don't really know <laughs> um, what it, this interest is, but just saying, yes, let's do it. And sort of jumping in with your child, I think is, is really powerful. Um, you know, like you can read the books with the child or you can sign them up for these classes um, or, you know, really there's a lot of activities that are available in our community that, um, that you can, you know, sign your child up for or even do with your child. And I think that that it goes a long way to make their interests grow and develop and for them to learn like, okay, what is it that I want to do uh, professionally? Like what kind of job do I want? And, you know, I think, yeah, like I said, my mom never would have expected to have an astronomer daughter. Um, but the fact that she let me run with it um, is what enabled me to keep going. And then I think ultimately this is where I was, you know, destined to be. So I think her support was crucial um, for it to sort of come true. I'm curious, do you think that this is, um, you know, we've talked about encouraging girls sort of at the at the family level, but where do you think that this solution really comes from in sort of closing uh, the gender gap or be, uh, creating a more inclusive atmosphere for minorities in the sciences? I, to be honest, I think a lot of it is at the K to 12 level because that is when kids are sort of deciding what interests them and maybe what they want, thinking about what they're gonna do in the longer term. And it seems like a lot of girls are kind of closing the door to science and math, you know, around middle school age. And so it's important to reach them um, basically by then and sort of show that science is fun and it's exciting and that it is a possible career path. And it doesn't mean that they have to become scientists, but just showing them that it's possible and, you know, all of the cool things that, that can be done I think that's that's important. Um, I think that's that's where it starts, and then but then the key past that is to also make sure that we retain those young minds as they go through the different steps of the academic process, and that is making the you know the culture and climate environment supportive, 
um, as they go through high school and college and, and beyond. Um, because really, you know, if it's if they're like, yes, science is so cool, but then they get to the college classroom and everyone is really discouraging, um, then they're they're going to end up pursuing something else anyway. So it's really that at every stage we have to be encouraging and and support them and make them feel like they do have uh, a lot to offer and they do. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Lopez. It's been a pleasure to, to speak with you and to learn from you. Fellow parents, thank you for joining in on this interesting conversation. A new episode of the Navigating Your Child's Education podcast is published on the first and third Wednesday of each month. Make sure to subscribe and the latest episode will automatically show up in your preferred podcast library. 